Hello, Sonoma. As we look forward to 2023, this episode is a summary and reflection on what we've been able to do together in 2022. From journeys to far-off sister cities to explorations in Sonoma's backyard, I can't wait to get started. Hello, Sonoma, and welcome back. This is our very first year-end retrospective for Hello, Sonoma, which is a very exciting time to reflect on the 45 episodes we created together this year. I thought I would pull out some highlights, some moments in interviews throughout the year that would inspire us as we come into 2023. Of course, this doesn't include everybody, but it does include many of the people who left an impact on me, and all of them have inspired me in one way or another. I hope they will for you as well. Without further ado, here's my first guest, Alicia Morga. I think you can be in your 40s, 50s, and 60s and completely lost. It, it, you can find your way and then get lost again. These are all um, uh, perfectly acceptable journeys. I hate like our common sort of cultural media voice is like you're supposed to figure it out, figure it out, and have it figured out, and you're good for the rest of your life. This is not how it works at all. I love this idea of being allowed to be lost, of being allowed to imagine new possibilities especially as it relates to Elisa's other quote. That phrase, what's wrong with me, whenever I think it, that's key. That means there's something there that um, is saying, like, I've got a different point of view and that's okay. Because I think what happens is you have, especially for women or like, you know, anybody who's grown up in a situation where you had to be good, you know, or there was like a way to do stuff, when you encounter something that just doesn't fit with you, you can kind of blame yourself or feel shame, you know, for like, why can't I get around this? Or why can't I, you know, what's wrong with me that I don't like like this? Or I, go, I think this is wrong. And there's so much of our cultural messaging is like, yeah, what's wrong with you? Change. Instead of, yeah, that's something that's right about you. Look into it. That's inspiration for us to be ourselves and to think of what only we have that we can contribute. Jean-Charles Boisset had a similar message when I asked him about his fashion. How has your style evolved over the years? Oh, constantly. I see something I like, I get it and wear it. I, I really feel we are who we are and the way we present ourselves is a pure expression of what we are inside. And I believe it's very important to be yourself and to discover yourself and to allow yourself to be yourself. I know it's a complicated sentence, but I think it takes a lot of years to assert your own personality and just to allow yourself to be who you want to be and to represent yourself the way you are. I love texture, fabrics, and I want to wear the wine that I make. And often, you know, all the suits and the colors I have is exactly that. So I think we cannot be boring in this world. We cannot be vanilla, even though I love vanilla. And we need to allow ourselves to express the inner feelings that is within us. And people sometimes have a hard time, as I am, wearing snake print or crocodile or why not tiger or leopard. Allow yourself to do it. Uh, allow yourself to be different. If you're different inside, you're most likely different outside. And I believe your clothes is one way to represent it. Your personality is another, the way you talk, the way you behave. And I believe in having fun. So I'm who I want to be. I don't program it. I don't often, you know, 
manage it to the T. That's why sometimes I could shock or I could be disruptive. But I think it's important to, to just allow yourself to be yourself and inspire others to do the same. For someone like me who had never given much thought to fashion as a true means of self-expression, this point opened up my eyes, not only to the possibilities for myself, but to all the people around me. As we think about declaring who we are through our clothes, Kristen Anaker, a costume designer, explains how we do the same through our intentions. The vision is a way of being in the world. It's who you say you are. It's who you declare you are. So it's not what you're doing in the world. You're not defined by what you do. It's who you say you are in the world. It's almost like we sit up on a cloud and look down and go, what, what is Kristen? Who is she in the world? What is she up to? Kristen later shared a story that does more to highlight this attitude than any discussion possibly could. A friend of mine in LA is a costume designer. She hadn't worked in a year. She said it on this trance. I said, come take the conference. She took the conference, loved it. She calls me up. She goes, Kristen, what am I going to do? I got a job interview. I can't do it. I go, get over here. So she says, I, there's going to be big designers going for it. I haven't worked in a year. I've gained 20 pounds. I don't have a good res- a updated resume. I don't have any good pictures anymore. I can't go for the job interview because there's going to be big designers going for it. I go, okay, who are you being in this story? This whole big story you just gave me. Who are you being in that story? She says, oh, I'm being worthless. I said, now make up another way of being for me. She said, I'm a breath of fresh air. Okay, fabulous. So she goes for the job interview. Before she would have gone to the job interview, being worthless, she would have gotten a thousand dollar outfit, faked her resume, you know, and gone in as worthless. Instead, she went in as a breath of fresh air. She got the job. It was shot in Austin. I went with her as her supervisor. We're standing on set outside next to the director one day, shooting a scene. And he turns and says, you know, I had a lot of big designers that wanted this job, but I just wanted a breath of fresh air. Thank you, Kristen, for being a breath of fresh air yourself. These first three conversations centered largely around individual identities. Our next guest, Gary Saperstein, talked about community from a personal lens, both from his own history in New York and his present in Sonoma. Fire Island, especially in the 60s, the 70s, 80s, 90s, even through today is this little gay mecca and it's our community. And you have, the only way to get there is you have to take a ferry to get there. And you take the Long Island Railroad out from New York to Sayville, you get on a little jitney, the jitney takes you to the ferry and the ferry takes you over to Fire Island. And um, you get on that ferry and it's almost like you unzip yourself, you step out, because when you step onto Fire Island in the Pines of Cherry Grove, it's our community. Back then it was 100% gay. Now it's probably 90% gay because you know things are more open now, which is great. But um, it was like o- o- opening a new door, opening a new window, path for me. My first you know, friends greeted me at the ferry with Bloody Marys in hand. And then we just, the whole day, just then all led up to going at like four or five o'clock, going to out there to the area where they held the tea dance. And it was amazing. And I met, I remember just meeting so many people, so many people, and it was just so much fun. And it was one of the first times ever 
in my life that I really felt this is this is community. This is what community is about. And you know, it's so funny talking about it. Thank you for asking because I guess that's really what I try to do with out in the vineyard. That's one of my goals with the event is bringing community together and being in this amazing location that I get to live in and share it with my community in this way is just, you know, it's creating a magical experience for people that hopefully they'll always remember. And, you know, there are, there are people who come every year and they, they, you know, remember, you know, year two or year five or last year that they came to the, to the Twilight Tea Dance and, or, or part, other parts of Gay Wine Weekend. And it's just, um, that's really what it's um, all about. It comes down to community. It really does come down to community. Charlotte Hager shared with us another new perspective on what it means to be a part of the human story. We look back at the like millennia of civilizations that came before us, but like we never see ourselves as being in the middle of this story. We're always at the end of the story. And, you know, sci-fi, of course, imagines these distant futures, but none of it feels that real. And, and very few of us are really planning for a future that extends beyond our own lifetimes. And that's really such a weird mode of existence. Like, why wouldn't we consider ourselves to be in the middle of the story? And what is it that we need to do in order to put ourselves back there so that we can start thinking about what life is going to look like a millennium from now in the same way that we think about what life looked like a millennium ago and how far we've come from then. And so coming up with these little thought exercises that that try to put yourself back in in that middle position in the story can be so helpful. And then these fun little stories about how when this college in Oxford was built, they thought far enough ahead to plant trees so that they could replace beams 500 years in the future are just such a great reminder of the way that we can build that kind of long-term perspective into our lives. And as soon as we do, all of these big social and environmental problems that we face become so much more overseeable and even solvable because we don't just have to rely on our own lifetime, but we can sort of literally plant a seed that someone else will then take on after we're gone. And, you know, when we see ourselves as part of a much bigger, like, story into the future, we take so much of the pressure off ourselves and we can just be happy, like, taking one little step in the direction towards solving something and trust that future generations are going to take it over. And I just, I love that. Just as Charlotte helped us realize how we are a part of something bigger, Sophia Jeremias found similar stories by diving into journalism. I think um, with my journalistic process, I realized the less, sometimes the less you say, the better. I think I've realized more and more it's not, it's not so much about like sounding super well-informed or smart. It can kind of help to maybe let on less, maybe not reveal as much and sort of just asking questions that probe people to just open up and talk as much as possible. I think you know, I, I record all my interviews and I put them in this process, in this software. And I notice that the, you know, percentage of time that I'm talking is increasingly less and less compared to the percentage of time that they're talking. So I kind of always try to shoot for like maybe 10% that I'm talking, 90% that they're talking. And I think just, you know, becoming a little braver, being less afraid to just show up. I realize that people do actually want to share their stories a lot more often than you would think. And getting over that initial fear of, 
imposing on them or asking them to reveal parts of their life. That That's actually a really valuable experience for a lot of people. And e- even if it is a kind of tough or, or bad moment, a lot of times people do want to share that and they, they do want to be heard. I was telling someone recently, like I went into it for the writing and, and now the writing is kind of my least favorite part. My favorite part is, is getting to sit in people's living rooms and just get a glimpse into their life that, you know, I wouldn't really have any other reason to. As someone who just grew up in Sonoma, it's like, why in the world would I be sitting in this chicken farmer's house in rural Utah finding out about his whole family history? Or, you know, I did a story on midwives and was there for the first time that a woman heard her baby's heart beat. And so, yeah, I think just the longer I do it, the more it's hard for me to imagine doing anything else because you really do just, you get to witness these really intimate moments in people's lives. And that just feels like the, yeah, the greatest privilege in the world. As we recognize our humanity, it is important that we remember to have fun. Who better than Squire Friedel to highlight how we can have fun through wine and through our own experiences with one another. Well, Bob and I are, uh, are old guys. And when you get old, you only do things, hopefully, that are fun. <laughs> Winemaking is there's a certain amount of arduousness in making wine and focus and concentration, but that's a very short-lived time. The best times I've ever had in my adult life have always involved, involved a bottle of that, the wine that you are drinking. And it's the best times I've ever had with my wife, with friends, with acquaintances, with family, with daughter, with her husband, with everyone. We're having a little get-together tonight with some old friends, and believe me, there will be some wine, and it just makes you smile. Uh, wine is the reason that God put us on this earth and wants just to make wants to make us happy. I think yes. Benjamin Franklin said that wine is sure proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Yes. And I like that. And the happiness goes along with sometimes being a little bit silly. And wine makes uh, you giggle on the first three glasses of wine. Your uh, your reflexes improve. You're very creative. You laugh a lot. It's just that fourth glass where there's a different god that takes over. The Greek god Dionysus is on the first three glasses. He's the, gods of, the god of creativity. On the fourth glass, you've gone to the Roman god Bacchus. He's a very different god. So it's good to say in, the, in that first three glasses. So we enjoy it. We just enjoy the heck out of wine. My wife and I have been married 44 years. I still love my wife, and I think she still loves me. And you know what? We drink wine every night of our lives, and we enjoy it, and we laugh. This year has also reminded us of the challenges facing our friends around the world. War has struck Ukraine, and I got the chance to speak with two Sonomans about their experiences there, Aaron Hilfresi and Jessica Fudim. When we first arrived in Moscow, it was without any fanfare at all, and quite a, literally a culture shock for many of us. We, Some of us had never left the country before, and we had just been on 14 hours of flights, and um, if not more, and we were exhausted. And so by the time we got to Kanyev, it, it felt kind of like coming home, like, okay, now we can just go, you know, where we're supposed to be. And we pulled up in the van that they had chartered for us. And I can still see just what felt like hundreds of people out there waving at us, cheering for us, you know, decorations. It may have only been 20 people, but it felt like a lot more than that. Um, lots of children. They were just so excited to welcome us. And I mean, I even get goosebumps thinking about it because it was such a, an amazing welcome. Um, 
you know, given we were people they didn't even know, had never really maybe even heard of, and we were welcomed with open arms. It was, I'll never forget that feeling. We stayed in a Soviet pioneer camp. So it's like a summer camp, basically. And there were counselors and kids, and there were kids from Poland as well. I remember food and sweet tea, like black tea with um, sugar in it. And yeah, my mind often goes to the, the cafeteria where we ate and they fed us lots and lots of food and did performances. I feel like food is such a rich container of culture and sharing and it's Vareniki, these dumplings, boiled dumplings. And really just, I remember the feeling of wanting to understand my peers better, my peers from Ukraine and, and some from Poland as well. And they were so cool. They were really into swing dancing and I'm a dancer and I, I felt like, and even their style, like a little, I don't know, just, I felt so intrigued by them and we learned a little bit of Ukrainian before we went there. And I wish that I had learned more. I would have loved to have asked them more deep questions about like, what is your life like? But even without that layer of communication with, um, you know, we, we made friendship bracelets with them a lot, like with the embroidery thread, like, and so that was a common activity for us. I was just looking through my photo album and just like us all huddled around making bracelets, giving each other bracelets. And so even without that layer of verbal communication, we developed some really sweet bonds. And oh my gosh, we could just, how much time do you have? <laughs> I couldn't keep talking. Well, we do have to take a quick break, Jessica, but we'll be right back on Hello Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back. You're listening to our end-of-year retrospective with highlights from guests throughout 2022. Let's dive back in. Jessica mentioned the challenge of communicating across language barriers. Our next guest, Elise Gonzalez, has found just how important food can be in breaking barriers of any kind. I think the biggest thing is um, sometimes we feel like there's a barrier to talk about challenging things. And if, we, if we're able to sit around food and make it casual, that barrier seems to lower because we become comfortable with the people that we're sitting and eating with. And I feel like it's, it's an easy access to, to just share. And most of the time we just find out that we, we have more things in common with people than less. So, you know, oh my gosh, this food is amazing. If you have two people from different cultures saying the same thing, they're gonna start, that's sparking interest, that's sparking conversation, and then they can find other avenues of what, what they have in common and also celebrate their differences as well. And for someone with so much energy, it can be important to point it in the right direction. I always have had fire, ask anybody growing up with me. <laughs> My fire has developed into a good thing. <laughs> so I'm not quite sure where it comes from, but I do I do know that since I was a very young um, age that social justice would create, or actually the lack of social justice would create rage and fire within me and I would get very angry about it. And so 
I had to learn self-control to be able to figure out, well, just because you're angry about something doesn't mean that that is going to make any impact or positive action. So how do you connect from being angry to going into actually doing something about it? So I think that like kind of fire fueled my entrepreneurship because I, when beginning community development, you see so many ways to do different things. But I really studied like what actually is going to make a difference when these people don't have water, they don't have access to nutrition, they don't, 60% of people in our village were unemployed. Like, how do you solve those things first? And then we can get to the fluffy, like, altruistic ideas of like a cushy life of making things more enjoyable. But how do we address basic needs first? And so I, you know, do we do that the nonprofit way? Do we do that the for-profit way? How does that look? And at the end of the day, we decided that social entrepreneurship is probably the best way to go because you're treating everybody equally as well as they're able to get food on their table. Lee Armstrong teaches puppetry to people all over California, and she highlights just how valuable it is to find joy in those characters and stories. I think there's a joy in puppetry, and I do think the first time I put a puppet on my hand, I'm from Nova Scotia, got hired to do a tour, and the first time I put a puppet on my hand and brought it to life, I went, oh my goodness, this is, it is just so creative and so fun. And I consider myself really, really lucky to do this. We do a lot of other things. The puppets never seem to pay the bills as much as more practical arts, (laughs) like molding, casting, and 3D printing. But we still, you know, there's a great joy in doing puppetry. Our next guest, Lynn Lancaster, had three important things I'd like to share. The first is about communication. What fascinates me is how people communicate with each other and why why so often they're at cross purposes or they can't hear each other, they can't understand. And generations just ended up being the most engaging way to talk about that because everybody has generations in their lives. And even though for my career, I've kind of looked at it across different kinds of businesses, the minute you start talking about generations, everybody's thinking about their kids, their grandparents, their mentors, mentees. They think about their nonprofits and their church and their neighborhood, and it kind of has repercussions that go into every area of our lives. So once I started researching it and saw how interesting it was, it was irresistible. Lynn also shared how important it is to listen when bridging generational gaps. It's hilarious how many times I, as a baby boomer, get called by a company saying, we just don't get millennials. We want you to come in and explain to all my all of our baby boomers how they work. And I'm like, you're a huge corporation. You have thousands of millennials working there. Had you thought at all about asking them? It's just, it's nuts how we're afraid to address it. And one of the kind of great things about generations is we are, we're a diversity topic, right? We need a, a generationally diverse workforce for a million reasons, but we're, we're also like the least politically correct diversity topic. So we're still the one where somebody will say, 
oh, those millennials, they just don't know how to work. Or, oh, those old farts, they can't even get on the internet. You know, we have no trouble insulting the generations. It's just like culturally part of the whole flow. But I love your anthropology analogy because that's really what it is. It's really, I, I, people ask me all the time about etiquette and they'll say, they'll say, I, et etiquette at work is just dumb. People should care about me and judge me on who I am. And I'm like, well, they have five minutes on Zoom to get to know who you are. So etiquette does play a role in educating people about who you are and showing respect for their culture. So I always say to people, when you're trying to get to know other, another generation, think about what you do if you're getting to know another tribe, right? You'd study their taboos and their mores and their preferences and what art and music they like and how they what they think about entertainment or relationships, right? You'd, you'd want to learn those things, just like if you were going to an exotic culture. I don't know why we don't do that for each other. And um, you do that by listening. You do that by asking and listening. And the simplest possible advice I could give, give any generation, not just older to younger, but vice versa, is ask open-ended questions and just quietly try to listen to the answer and open-ended questions are the who what when where why how don't ask the yes no's did you have a good day at school today no so that's the end of that conversation right it just shuts it down so we need we need to ask and listen and we need to do it in a non-judgy way and finally she highlighted some important lessons we have learned over the past two years about being together it's just, a, it's such a gift to be together and to, well, we've all, we all, we all discovered it during the pandemic is, is there's just a different energy in the room when, when we're together with different thinking styles and joys and delights and different knowledge. I'm, I'm really interested in people who know different things from what I know. And that's, that's, that's part of it. And, and also collectively what we can do together bringing when when it, when it, when one person's energy is there you can do a lot but when everybody's energy comes you can do infinite and um i also learned i just spoke a couple of weeks ago at the iccfa which is the international cemetery cremation and funeral association in las vegas at mandalay bay and elvis actually came to my speech which is very cool but the <laughs> The, the amazing thing was here were 2000 people who know this entire world that I don't know anything about, the cemetery, cremation and funeral home world. And I got to, I had the great joy of getting to immerse myself in their world. I, I interviewed people before I went, I looked at a lot of their websites. I talked to the conference organizers. I went in a day early so I could go to the funeral expo, which they had this vast, trade show in Mandalay Bay of the funeral industry. And just, I think it's partly to your question about joyfulness. It's partly the, it's partly having, being, giving yourself the room to have curiosity to be like, you know what? I could be working, but I think I'll take two hours and go to the funeral expo because I'm bound to learn something. <laughs> and I really did. It was, it was fascinating. And then what you see is all these people who are loving and fascinated by what they do. And that just expands the joy when you're when you're kind of willing to enter in and, and see what else do people know? What else are people passionate about? So 
I tr- I'm trying if I'm with a group or I'm at a dinner party or whatever, instead of asking people like, how are your kids or what trip are you going to take now that the pandemic's over? Or did you get a booster? All of which I'm so tired of. I'm trying to figure out questions to ask people like, what have you been working on in your mind that's really fascinated you over the last year or so? Or what's a conundrum that you're hoping you'll be able to solve in your lifetime? Or just asking some different things that will create a different conversation. Because if other people are like me, they're walking around with questions in their head all day. Like I talk to myself all day with questions in my head, but I don't always say them out loud to the other people. Sometimes I think I did, but I didn't. So I'm really interested in finding out what other people are thinking about and having that conversation. Thank you, Lynn, for all your wisdom. Just as we must get to know the people around us, Scott Woody Woodworth suggests how we can express ourselves and have fun with the people around us too. Why is it important? Why do you think f- having fun nowadays all the time, you know, having fun in the office, having fun outside, why is that so important? Maybe now more than ever. I mean, it seems like everyone is so. I think it's always, I think it's always been important, you know, and God promised us that. Yeah, that's what we're living for. Just to, to, to prove his happiness and love, you know, because happiness and love grows. Hate and misery shrinks. I just think that's the natural, that's the natural way of, of the human being. We're gregarious. That's why this COVID thing's been so horrible because people like to get together and talk. And once we're all just by ourselves, I mean, that's why solitary confinement is the worst punishment that you can have on earth. Solitary confinement. And that's sort of the way we've been for the past two and a half years. We want the opposite of solitary confinement. And that's what Loudmouth provides. With regards to connections, Sonoma has a very special tie to its seven sister cities in seven countries around the world. This year, I was lucky enough to visit three of them and to hold interviews on Hello Sonoma that were broadcast back here on KSVY. If you'd like to listen to all of those episodes, please visit hellosonoma.org. But one part which I wanted to highlight was a conversation that I had with a flight attendant on my way there. Here's my talk with Brenda. You, ne- you never know why somebody's going to a destination, and I think that's always really important to remember as well. Are they going for vacation? Maybe somebody passed away. You never, you never quite know why somebody's traveling, but you also never know what the crew's going through either. So, vice versa. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. Yes, everyone has a story. I feel like mine has not been very interesting, but everyone has a story, and that's also a really great part of flying, is you get to meet people like. Like Francisco, who's a radio host. You never know who you're going to meet on a plane. You know, once ah, actually, one time I had. Um, remember when Normandy had the? They had flew over the veterans. I had a gentleman who had been 17 at the time, and he was on our plane flying back from Normandy, and he didn't want to talk about himself and talked about the bravery of all the other troops around him uh, because his job was to stay with the boat so he didn't have to go on the D-Day beach and that's how he was it came to be 
be able to be a veteran over at the celebration. So he was very cute. I think he was 92, 95. Wow, isn't that incredible? You, you really never know until you yeah. ask people. You never know. You never know. You also never know the people that will be on the will be on the plane. The other day we had an older actor that none of us really recognized with a mask on until he took it down to eat. We were like, oh, <laughs> hello. How kind of you to be with us. You never know who's going to be here. You really don't. Well, do you want to leave us with any final thoughts about the magic of air travel or the places that you've been or the people that you've met? Or The magic of air travel, yes. We are magic carpets in the air, aren't we? <laughs> um, let's see here. This feels like a very pivotal moment. Go do. Go try. You'll always make the money later. Go fly. Go do. Go see. Explore. Go up, Go by yourself. Go with friends. Go with family. Whatever works for you. But go, go see it because it goes by fast. Both the flight and time. So. I cannot think of a better way to conclude that. Thank you so much, Brenda. The Sister Cities journey was unbelievable in many different ways. First, because it transformed signs on either side of Highway 12 into real people whose stories I could learn and listen to. The journey took me from Chambol Musigny in France to Greve in Chianti in Italy and ending up in Tokai, Hungary, three towns I never would have heard of otherwise. But when I visited each of them, they greeted me with open arms, setting me down at tables to have meals and telling me their stories in detail. I don't speak any Hungarian, so when I went to Tokai in Hungary, I had no idea what to expect. Fortunately, our friend Otilia Meyer was there to translate for me and to introduce me to people from all over town. I asked her and another American who had actually made it to Tokai because of Sonoma's sister cities if they had anything they wanted to say to the people of Sonoma. And here's what they said. Hello, Sonoma. Hello, all my friends there. Sylvia, Jolt. George, Katie, Joanne, Joan, and, and all the others. Yes, so as you can probably tell, Oti has been to Sonoma many times. Yes, not many, three times. Not as many as I wanted to, but it all was a nice and uh, energizing experience for me. Is there anything that you'd like to say to the people of Sonoma? The people of Sonoma, come to Rakotsi Pinse. I will be here, I will pour wine for you. It's exciting. Come get enthusiastic about Furmint. Yes. Come, please. <laughs> Can't wait. We'd yeah. hope to have you in Sonoma. Yes, yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for sharing your stories. We're going to have to take another quick break, but we'll be right back on Hello, Sonoma. Hello, Sonoma. Welcome back. Our last clip came from messages sent from Tokai in Hungary, our sister city. While I've always said that Hello Sonoma was interviewing people from Sonoma and beyond, in this particular retrospective, I've been concentrating on people currently or recently living in Sonoma. I hope that's okay with you. One of the people who first put me in touch with Sonoma Sister Cities was Katie Bailey. In our conversation, she talked about recognizing your own perspective within the larger picture. I always say, you, you are the center of your own universe. But that's true of every person on the planet. They are also the center of their own universe. So just because you think a certain way and you kind of have a certain norm does not mean that the other people 
in the other side of the planet feel that same way. And I think that's, it's, it's kind of sometimes it's a little bit shocking to realize yeah. <laughs> that everything is not the same, but it's also very kind of liberating, really exciting to think about how people live, how they, you know, what they do for a living and how they live and what they think about. The other thing about traveling is you realize you are so lucky to live in the mm. United States. You have, we have so much wealth compared to most people. I mean, 99% probably, I don't know, maybe not 99, but uh, we have so much wealth and we're, and so much opportunity compared to many, many, many people. And if all you need to do is go to India, which you did, and you'll know that is absolutely the case. So that is very humbling and, and it makes you really want to do something important, not important, but it makes you want to recognize that, that you have a responsibility that comes with your wealth. And I think that's an important thing. Dr. Nancy Dome had a similar idea and shared how to expand each of our universes. Education has allowed me to broaden my my perspectives and my horizons. I had the opportunity to study abroad for multiple years. And again, this understanding that the US and you know my my town, my you know, living in West Hollywood, that I wasn't the center of the universe, right? So this idea that it's far more expansive and this understanding that we are far more connected to each other. And Education was that for me. It just it just gave me opportunities to really grow and and go deeper into who I am and who I want to be and how I want to contribute to the world. Maite Ituri shared how her own experiences through her father's immigrant story helped shape her perspective on the people she served. Mom always said, "How can I be okay if everyone else is not okay?" And I think my father's fight for justice is also a big part of follow was a big part of the reason that I chose the path that I chose is he leaving Spain the way he did and having to come to a country that he didn't know and having to navigate in a culture and a language he didn't understand and many of the families that I work with are in that similar situation so being able to channel him for wanting, understanding what he went through and what I think he would want me to do to support others. I think that has a lot to do with, with why I chose the things that I chose to support and to create really flourishing, enriching environments for people. spotted an opportunity and took it and he offers the same advice to young people as they try and figure out where to go in their lives I have three kids and I always tell my kids if there's one piece of advice everybody has their own life and their own path but if there's one piece of advice I I have it's that you want to be ready when an opportunity presents itself and that's easy to say but you know, you can look back and think, you know, I thought, I mean, one way to look at that statement is to say, is to know, I know, because I've done a lot of, I've talked about this subject a fair amount of times, and there, 
there are very few people that actually go for it. <laughs> and I always say, you know, the entrepreneurs, the people that actually do step into it, almost invariably, every person that I have talked to that's done that says, damn, I could have done this five years ago. Really? And I, and I think why that is, is because for guys like me, at least, just the fear of failure alone is far exceeds what's necessary to be successful if, if the idea is good. So maybe that's a different subject, but what, what I try to leave with my kids is you want to be net present enough that when the signals come your way, you don't miss them. You know, and I think I knew just enough about beer, just enough about hospitality, just enough about California and what people would want next to take investor dollars and say, yeah, we're going to make this happen. And then there's a fair amount of naivete too, because I thought I'd just go out and hire a brewer. And I got so lucky finding the guy I found. And I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't. We needed each other. We didn't really know it. But the fact that we were so different was really key. And also that we didn't have any failure in the beginning. I think it would have been very different if we had made the mistake about where we put the business or, you know, if we'd made a major mistake, we didn't make any major mistakes and the market was ready. We sensed it and we were so far ahead of it as it turns out. And we had good fortune in the beginning, so we weren't stressed about, was this worth our effort? I loved performing. I love being able to make a connection with those who have maybe an interest in the music, but also those who have absolutely no interest. And that applies to pretty much 80% of the people, you know, and you have people that say strange things like, well, well, I don't get it. You know, why do you, what is your fascination for this music? Well, how do you, it's like asking somebody, well, why do you prefer? for Mozart to Beethoven. They don't have any music background, then it's kind of hard to convince them of what your obsession is. And uh, since it has been a bit of a passion with me to preserve this music, it's it's like being an archeologist as well. They're trying to ignite that person's imagination so they can appreciate it. But it's, it is um, really the music that ignites it. If they like the music, they enjoy it, they want to dance to it, then I have achieved my objective. <laughs> that was Sherry Mignano. She's an accordion expert, former radio host, and scholar of Italian music throughout the Bay Area. Martine Gobet's experience in the acting world shows us how important it is to be flexible, not only with our bodies, but with our lives. An acting, an MFA acting program, you pretty much spend the whole two or three years, most of them are three years, in sweatpants because you are constantly like 
moving physically and and relaxing and working on your body and opening your body your your instrument trying to get it as as relaxed and neutral and open as possible whether that be physical exercises vocal exercises movement class dance class singing class stage combat you do, you work in all these different disciplines and everything requires movement so you're you're not even allowed to wear jeans like that's too constricting so you're you're often barefoot and in sweatpants for every day all day two years straight and focusing on your your instrument and your soul and your mind and it's i mean it's a gift it's a gift to be in that in that bubble for that time with, feels- with a very intense intimate group it's where there's no fear of being vulnerable it's like it's like it's welcomed so uh it's an incredibly healthy place to be <laughs> if, if it's the right people chance to speak with an old friend, someone who came to Sonoma 13 years ago in 2009 as an exchange student at Sonoma Valley High School. Bruno Frejanis came back into the studio and chatted with us a little bit about his experience there and beyond. So um, what's it like to be back? Oh, it's kind of crazy actually because I only noticed that it's been 13 years when I got back to Sonoma and I noticed that the city hasn't changed much. <laughs> uh, the city hasn't changed much, and that's something that it really helped me out by re- remembering everything I, I went through here. As you mentioned, I was in Sonoma Valley High School, right? I was a senior in the class of 2010 here, and I had a blast here, and we're going to talk about it later, right? Yeah, we are going to talk about it. But let's, uh, so let's just talk about it now, actually. What was it like <laughs> being in Sonoma for the first time? You arrived in 2009, right? Yeah, I did. I I got here in August 2009, 2009, and I was an exchange student for AFS. That's a a big, like, it was the first exchange exchange student company in the world. And I got here through a scholarship, actually, and it was really crazy because... my parents couldn't afford, for for sure, they couldn't afford uh, to send their kid away. And I, I battled so much to get this scholarship, and it was so humbly for me and for my family to, to have me here. I never heard of Sonoma. When they told me I was coming to Sonoma, I was like, where's that? <laughs> yeah. So for people who were alive back then in 2009, we only went to Google Maps and we started uh, street viewing. And there wasn't many pictures of Sonoma back then in 2009. And I just thought like it was such a cozy town even before I got here. And that would be like the best place for me to to be. Uh, Especially because I come from Rio, as you mentioned before, and it's such a huge city down there in Brazil. And being here in Sonoma was really awesome. so much for joining us for some of the highlights of Hello Sonoma in 2022. I couldn't possibly have included everyone in this one hour, but I'm so grateful to everyone who contributed in one way or another to this program this year. I want to end this look back with a look forward. My guest, Alan Early, who himself lived on three continents and had three careers as a musician, a computer programmer, and a printer, shares wonderful advice on how to view the road ahead. 
I guess, because you, you never know where the roads are going to take you, you know, you just have to go with the flow, basically, and and do the best you can everywhere you are, I guess. I just feel lucky that I've had all the experiences that I have had, and I've had managed to sort of come through it and really enjoy all these different experiences. And as a younger person, I would think, I hope, wish them the same. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to all my guests. If you want to learn more about any of the people in this episode, be sure to visit hellosonoma.org. Thank you to Sharing Skies for providing the music for this episode. Thank you so much to the Sister City Association for connecting me with our beautiful sister cities here and around the world. Thank you to my fellow Sonomans for believing in this mission of listening to one another's stories and learning from them. Of course, though we've reached the end of this episode and the end of this year, remember, it's not goodbye, it's Hello Sonoma.